All right, everyone, we will have the split sermon brought to us today by our wonderful accompanist, Art Williams, entitled Christ Ready, Tornado Ready. Mr. Art Williams. Good afternoon, everyone. Tornado is a very frequently used word over the past couple of weeks here in Oklahoma. We've probably all seen the damage and the pictures of those that have been lost in the storms. And they're an annual event here in Tornado Alley. And for some of us, it might generate the question, why did I move here? <laughs> there are parts of the world that never experience these things. Has anyone here been like really up and close and personal with him, like a couple hundred yards? Matthew, Lawrence, pretty terrifying things I imagine. I've never even seen one in the flesh, just on TV and films. And I hope I never have to, or have the opportunity to meet one up close and personal. <clears throat> the occurrence of these storms is usually well predicted by the weather people. They report the storms that recently spun up were from an air mass that was the most unstable seen here in over a decade. So when we hear the reports of possible tornadoes are forecast for the day, how do we respond? What actions do we take? We probably keep some media device available to us to notify when tornado watches and the subsequent warnings are issued. And when we hear a tornado watch is issued for our area, we probably pay a little bit more attention to it. We see what time the time frame the watch is issued for and how that will influence our future plans. And then later, when we hear a warning has been issued for our area, that there is one on the ground, what do we do? What are our actions? The directives we receive from the weather people get to a safe location in a fixed building. That's an interesting thing. When you look at some of the damage, not too many buildings are fixed for some of these storms. But anyway, or into an interior and into an interior room of that building, or into your storm shelter, if you have one. And one of the guys on the Weather Channel said, if you don't have one, maybe if you know your neighbor does, maybe you should go over there. I'm not so sure that's a good idea. You may not be welcome. I don't, I don't know. I hope you have good relations with him. But also, uh, we advise you to evacuate mobile homes and trailers because that's like being in a tin can. You'd be kicked all over the place. A pastor recently asked his congregation because he gave a message on safety, what's the first thing you do when you get into the car? The answer he was looking for was, put on your seatbelt. The answer that he got was, pray. So when we hear or see the threats of tornadoes, do we do that? Do we pray? Next question, R. William's most favorite question, and also I think it's Benjamin's most favorite question. Why? Why do we pray? Oh, come on, Art, you say. That's a silly question. It's obvious. I want protection because I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose my life or my family's life. 
I don't want to lose my belongings. I don't want to have any suff anyone suffer any debilitating injury. I don't want to have to go through all the difficulties of the trauma associated with the disaster. But that really isn't the focus of my question. You see, my question is, from what motivational standpoint, from what emotional standpoint do you pray? Is our prayer presented like a deathbed repentance prayer with fear, anguish, anxiety, pleading, begging, confessing? Do we believe that God is out to get me? Well, you know, if he's out to get you, you're going to get God. So that, you know, <laughs> so let's turn to Psalms 144, verse 6. You know, Brian, I think I forgot to give you that one. 144 verse 6 because it's, it's, it's an interesting I actually ran across this late this morning that's why I didn't get it to you Brian let's start in verse 5 bow the heavens O Lord and come down touch the mountains and they shall smoke cast forth lightning and scatter them Shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. Sounds like the old pagan got up there throwing out lightning bolts, doesn't it? But this is talking about God. But do we have that image in our minds that that's what God is doing? That he is out to get us. And when we are facing the reality that is within a, that within a short 30 minutes, we may be dead, because that's what happened out in Oklahoma, in Murrow, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma City, and some of the other towns. People got up in a normal day, just like any other day. They heard tornadoes are possible. And you don't know, is it going to hit me or not? Most people probably think, well, it's probably not going to hit me. But some of those people, before that day was over, did not go home. Others were maimed and suffered unimaginable, heartbreaking losses that can change us in our station in life forever. But it can also bring home our shortcomings and our deficiencies in our relationship with God, real or imagined. In the backdrop of a tornado threat is a good time to inspect our heart of hearts and investigate who and what we think God is or isn't. What do we know about him as a result of our personal relationship with him? How he interfaces with us daily, weekly? How has he treated us? To evaluate our degree of confidence, trust, and unwavering faith that we have in him. And to evaluate how much he values us. Do we know where we stand with God right now? Our preparation for the tornado really should have already been accomplished days, weeks, and months before any tornado warning ever was issued. By living the Christian life, exercising faith, because by exercising faith, faith will grow, we develop a relationship with God. And having that strong relationship with God gives us confidence 
If we go to Daniel 3, 16 through 18, Daniel 3, 16 through 18, we see an account of Daniel's three friends interfacing with the king and standing for this, before this fiery furnace. <clears throat> Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, this was, it's not a big deal to them. It's a foregone conclusion what they were going to do. There was no great agony. They weren't standing up there, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I'm not so sure about this, but we think maybe you want to stand up for God. We don't think you should throw us in the furnace either. You know, I don't think they were like that. It's not a big deal to them. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And if not, be it known unto the king that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They were well, well willing to lay down all the joys of this life, all their hopes, all their dreams, all their plans for the future. They showed that willingness and they placed themselves in the hands of God rather than running from him and putting themselves in the hands of the king. In helping us to learn and experience things that will help us to grow in faith and become stronger, I'd like to go through just a couple of the Psalms. Psalms 4, verse 5. Psalms are a really great place for any time you're in trouble or you want to develop faith and have strength. Psalms are just an excellent place to go. And Psalm 4, verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. The sacrifices of righteousness. That is so, you know, I, in my, I've been whittling this message down for a long time, and I wasn't sure I was going to give it today. When you start to explode these out and drill down into that statement alone, you can, I mean, you can see it reams and reams and reams of paper. Sacrifices of righteousness. Defining that and explaining that. I could probably speak on just that alone for weeks. So I'm not going to go in and explain too many of these. I'll leave you to understand and come and grow in, in, in your education what all these are and the ways that you can apply it. Sometimes the sacrifice that you make is for the benefit of others even when you put yourself out. It's not merely keeping the laws of God. If we go over to Psalm 25, Verse 20, Psalm 25, verse 20. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. See, we develop the attitude of, oh, keep my soul and deliver me, not 30 minutes before the tornado strikes. We deliver it, we de de develop it now, years before we need it. And then we can stand there like Daniel's three friends. And if we continue over to Psalm 36, verse 7. 36, verse 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put the tr their trust under the shadow of your wings. It speaks for itself. 
You put yourself in God's hands. You're there already. Trust him. Bring every thought into captivity and step by step follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Going on to Psalm 62, 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times. There's a very good directive. At all times. It doesn't say trust in him when you see a tornado on the horizon. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart. Whatever is weighing down your spirit. Whatever it is. Go to him with it. Seek him as your refuge. It will become a habit pattern and it will become, should we say, first nature. And my last psalm here, 56 verse 3. 56 verse 3. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. And that's what we'd be striving to develop is improving that trust improving that faith. I don't know that anybody could stand within 200 yards of a tornado and not feel some trepidation and some fear. That, I don't mean to, to say that. And also, let me preempt my statement in here that I, I'm not, if you happen to have a storm shelter, I'm not saying that you're lacking faith or anything, okay? I'm not putting that down. If you want to have a storm shelter and you see you feel that you should have a storm shelter, then do it. Um, I don't have a storm shelter. We huddle in our utility room along with the washer and dryer and three cats and a dog. <laughs> if there are reasons to believe that he might allow the loss of our property or our life, we should approach him about it now and head it off at the pass so to speak. Don't wait until, and that's why looking back at your reaction during the tornado is important. What were you thinking? When those tornadoes hit, did you think, oh, I'm going to die and I'm not ready? What were the, each of you, I would inquire, implore you to go back and think. And it doesn't even only have to be at the times of tornadoes. It can be at any time where that emotion that I'm going to die hits you, or I might die. And ask yourself the question, am I ready? What issues are between you and the Lord? There's another way to put it. If we address these issues beforehand, we can avoid the disaster. If we're willing to lay down all the cares of this life for him, then we probably don't have anything that is inhibiting our relationship with him and have no need for unreasonable concern and unreasonable fear. Well, that is, of course, unless your name is Job, and in which case I hope I don't live next to you. That's a joke. There are some misconceptions, I think, about death. So often when we hear about death, we think of punishment. You know, and we read through the Old Testament and God punished Israel for their sins by invasion of foreign armies and they killed people. But you know, once you're dead, you're dead. The real 
the real punishment, if you will, was on those that were still alive. And it was on, incumbent upon those that were alive to change their ways, and change the future generations. Death removes the sinner from the scene. Isaiah 13, 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners out of it. So he is going to remove them. And if we go to Ezekiel 33, this is something I probably need to work on. Ezekiel 33, probably I will never get to the correct attitude on this. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say unto them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he that the wicked turn away, but that the wicked turn, his, turn from his way and live, turn you, turn from your evil way. Why will you die, O house of Israel? It's really hard. You have people out there that are, you can view them as your enemy even if you, let's say they're your enemy just for the sake of explanation, but there's times you just, why doesn't they go away? Yes. By a supernatural act. Second Peter 3, 9 tells us something about God's mercy and perhaps why God is so merciful. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And that could be very significant, especially um, to Christians. Because the, the ones that are really going to perish and perish forever those that are candidates for that right now are those that have been Christians and have turned their back on Christ. You see, because if you've never known Christ and you're left there living your life, you may die, but you're going to come up in the physical resurrection and have another opportunity for salvation. But if you've had your opportunity for salvation now, and I can give you names of people that I know that have walked away from the church. God wants them to come back because they're at risk of losing their salvation. And that's part of his patience and his kindness. Far beyond my, the scope of my ability to see and, and understand. One more Psalm. 116. Psalm 116. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now that's like 
the guy who values his money and is stacking away gobs of gold every every paycheck. That's that's what we're like to God at the time of our death. There's another one in the bank. Chalk another one up. There are some reasons why God will allow death. I have four of them here, I guess. The, The first one, and these may apply during the time of a tornado, and they may not. As a witness to others, and if we turn to Acts 7, 58, we, we see the story about Stephen. 7, 58, and it's talking, we're going to break in the middle of the story about Stephen, and it's, cast, it's talking about Stephen here. It says, and cast him, him being Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes, significant right here, laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And if we go down to verse 8, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. The interesting part about this story is that Saul, as we know, became Paul, and Stephen witnessed his whole message, his whole sermon, starting back in verse 2, chapter 7, before Paul. Paul heard the whole message. Another reason God will allow death to occur is Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. Isaiah 57, verses 1 and 2. The righteous perishes, and no man lays it to heart, and merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. In Daniel 11, 35, we'll find another reason. Daniel 11, 35. And some of them of understanding shall fall to test them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time to be appointed. And the last one is because of our own actions. And I'm I'm going to reference uh, Matthew 4, 6, and 7, where Satan is tempting Christ. And Christ responds with verse 6 and verse 7. Jesus said unto him, He has written, Thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. You know, there's several ways to do that. In a tornado, maybe you want to be a storm chaser. If you go out there and chase the tornado and be a storm chaser, you may be on your own. You get too close. Another illustration is, and this has nothing to do with tornadoes, but when we moved down here from upstate New York, I drove from Syracuse to Tulsa, which is 1,200 miles and 21 hours, straight through. That's not a smart thing to do. Not a smart thing to do. If I would have crashed and gotten killed, I probably would have allowed it to happen. You should have known better. I knew better. But by the time I got to Springfield, I was on this 
second wind. You know how you, the time I got down to, into Oklahoma, I was like, I can't stop now and pay a ho get a hotel room. I'm only two hours from where I got to go. And so you push it. Not smart. I'd like to finish the message with some areas in the Old Testament that may deter us from our program of developing faith and developing confidence and trust in God. And I want to start in Isaiah 2 and go, I don't know how far I'm going to go, Brian. I'm going to start in 6. Because I think this particular chapter and verses are so applicable to our day. It describes so many things. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with customs from the east, Or in the King James, it says, be replenished, okay, from the east. You mean trade goods? I don't know. And are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves in the children of strangers or foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold. We certainly are rich. A report came out this past week that the average American household is at an all-time record of wealth. I don't know how they get their statistics, but there it is. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. Technology. A lot of people worship technology and don't work. Don't even realize it. I don't think anybody here does. I'm not speaking about anybody here. I don't make that assumption. It's very easy to do that. Very easy to do that. And the mean man bows down, and the great man humbles himself, and therefore forgive them not. That's because they don't really mean it. They're putting in an act. They aren't humble at all. They go through, like I think it was President Clinton when he approached President Obama. He bowed down. I think he went down on the knee like that that one time. I don't know if any of you saw that. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be, shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone who is proud and lofty and upon everyone who is lifted up he shall be brought down. Let's skip on over to Isaiah 3 and start in the first verse there because here's not talking about Jacob. Here's talking about Jerusalem and Judah. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, does take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay in the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. He's talking about famine, lack of food and lack of water. The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, and the prudent, and the ancient, the captain of 50, and the honorable man, and the counselor, and the skilled craftsman, and the eloquent order. I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, everyone by his neighbor, and every, by another, and everyone by his neighbor. 
the child shall ha shall behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honorable. That certainly describes a large part of our society. When a man shall hold, take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast closing, be that you are ruler, and let this ruin be under your hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be a healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler over the people. For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen. I think I'd like to go back then to Isaiah 2 and finish on a positive note which is the coming kingdom of God. Because that's, in the end, where our confidence and our faith will get us, to the kingdom of God. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow onto it, and many people shall go and come, go and say, Come, you, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore.